0: Amen. If you have a Bible, go with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 will be uh, in Jonah 1 today, uh, tonight, near the end of your Old Testament. Okay? So Jonah is in the section of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. Uh, It comes right after the book of Obadiah. Uh, And so go to Jonah chapter 1. We'll be there here in just a second. We'll spend the next several weeks walking uh, verse by verse through the book of Jonah. Jonah. few years ago now uh, it's been probably about five or six Ashley uh, had picked up our two daughters from elementary school and was driving them home and Judson was very little at the time and so she had the three of them in our our minivan and for whatever reason they they were just calling uh, out to her often so they were kind of arguing with each other and they're they're asking her for things and they're uh, they're saying from the back seat about 35 times within a mile. Mama, mama, mom, mom, mom. And so, you know, mom, he's, he's messing with me, or mom, she's, she's doing this, and tell her to stop. And so finally, Ashley had just had enough after 35 times, and she goes, that's it. Nobody say mom for the rest of the trip till we get home. Can't say mom anymore. And so it got real quiet. In the back, and about 30 seconds later, real quietly and sheepishly, Emma Grace, our middle from the back, goes, Ashley? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> tried to get her attention that way. And uh, But what, one of the things that that, that that illustrates for us is children. Are naturally because of because of our sin nature. We are uh, children come into the world naturally, ready to say no to their parents rather than say yes. They come in ready to disagree with their parents rather than agree with their parents. And if we're honest with each other, that doesn't go away when you're out of childhood, right? Okay. So when you're a teenager, it's, you're even more likely to say no to your parents when you become an adult you you know you think you know better than your boss and you think you know better than your supervisor and you think you know better than the government and you think you know you know better than the experts on tv i mean uh, if the last year has taught us nothing then you know we probably all know better than the experts i don't know <laughs> but we, we we are programmed when it comes to authority to say no rather than say yes and we come to a story here, probably a, a famous story, probably most of you know at least some of the, the, the contours of this story in Jonah, where God's prophet says no to God rather than saying yes to God. And so I want to talk about uh, what that means for us. If you go Jonah chapter one, verse one, if you would, please stand to your feet out of reverence for reading the words of God. We're going to read the whole chapter, starting there in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah and they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him. What is this you have done? The men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Just to give you some some backgrounds we understand as we walk through this chapter, Jonah was a prophet during the prosperous reign of wicked King Jeroboam II. And you can find this in 2 Kings chapter 14 verse 25. And Jonah was a prophet who kind of had a positive message. And unlike some of the other prophets who were called out to speak to the people of Israel and call them to repentance, Jonah's message was one that God would restore land to the nation of Israel. And yet, God comes to him here in Jonah chapter 1, and he calls him to go and preach against Nineveh, he says, that great city. And this is the first time in the history of Israel that a prophet was called to leave his homeland and speak to Gentiles, to speak to non-Jews. And so he calls Jonah to preach against Nineveh, and he says, "It's, it's a great city. Now... Nineveh was great for many reasons. It was great because of its size. It was great because of its significance. And it was great because of its sin. It was great because of its size. There were 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh, which was a great number of people in those days. It was great because of its significance. Nineveh was a major city within the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire was the superpower of the day. It was the dominant empire in that day and age. In fact, there had been a prophecy that had already been given to Israel that the Assyrian empire would come in and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel and and wipe them out and take them off into exile. In fact, that happens within 40 to 60 years after the book of Jonah, uh, where the Assyrian empire comes in and wipes out the northern kingdom of Israel. And so, Assyria and Nineveh, its major city, its great city, was kind of public enemy number one in the nation of Israel. And it was also great because of its sin. The text tells us that God called Jonah to preach against them. He says, because their evil has come up before me. And history tells us, and even in the Bible, Nahum and other prophets called Nineveh the city of blood. It was that these were a ruthless people, a violent people, uh, an aggressive people. In fact, history tells us that the Assyrian Empire and the city of Nineveh would would take prisoners that they had uh, captured and tear their arms off, and tear their legs off. History tells us that one time, that there, often many times, they would they would dig a hole in the sand bury their prisoners in that hole up to their neck, take out their tongue and nail it to the ground. They would build skulls of pyramid, uh, uh, pyramids of skulls outside of cities that they had defeated and captured as a warning to anyone who passed by on the road. This is what happens if you mess with the Assyrian empire. They were a ruthless and violent people. And God calls Jonah to go and to basically preach hellfire and brimstone, to to speak judgment. He says, go preach against them. But Jonah says no. In fact, Jonah not only says no, he goes in the opposite direction. Assyria is to the east. He goes to Tarshish, which is really, in terms of the nation of Israel, Israel. The end of the known world to the west, and so he's trying to go as far away from what God has called him to as possible. Now that that raises a question: Why? Why does Jonah not do what God called him to do? And we're not we're not told yet in the story. In fact, God. Uh, waits to reveal this to us till the end of the book and so we'll look at it in a couple of weeks but to this point we are not told why and so the reader can uh, kind of guess why and the reader can can think to himself okay why would Jonah not want to go now for many of us if you were if you were raised in church okay then you know this story this story is about as familiar to you as you know Noah and the ark and Uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, and uh, Jesus being raised from the dead. Like, we know this story, okay? And so what we know is, we know Jonah is God's runaway prophet. Jonah was the disobedient prophet. You don't want to be like Jonah. Like, we all know that. And so it's easy for us to look at this story and to criticize Jonah and to be like, you know, what in the world was he thinking? Why wouldn't he listen to the word of God? And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't say yes to God. We often say no to God. That's what I want us to see in this this story tonight is, will you change your no God to yes God? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we often say no, and just like Jonah, We have our reasons. We have our reasons why we don't do what God has told us to do. In fact, again, no matter who you are in the room tonight or or watching online, whether you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, or you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Christ, we we all have our reasons for why we go the opposite direction from what God has called us to go. And why we say no to God rather than saying yes to God. And honestly, if, it, if we want to boil it down, we want to analyze it and, and think about why we do that. It comes down to this. We doubt the wisdom and goodness of God. We don't understand what he's asking us to do. Like it doesn't make logical sense to us. And we don't think it's going to make us happy. And so we go in the opposite direction. I mean, think about, I mean, if God calling Jonah to go to Assyria, which was public enemy number one in those days. I mean, that would be like God calling a Jewish rabbi in 1941 to go to Nazi Germany and stand on the street corner and preach to the Nazis and say, 40 days and God's gonna overthrow you. How long do you think that rabbi would last on the street corner? And so it makes it makes no logical sense to Jonah. Why would I... Go there, they're your enemies, uh, why would I do that? It also doesn't, it, it doesn't square with what he thinks about the goodness of God and how God's gonna make him happy. That's the bottom line, is that we say no to God because we think that the commands of God are leading us away from our own happiness. When you think about this with, you, with your kids, when, you're, when your kids disobey you, why do they disobey you? They disobey you because they think you're trying to make them have no fun. They're, they think you're trying to rain on their parade. And that's exactly what we do with God. If you're an unbeliever in the room, like the reason why you go the opposite direction from what God has called you to go in terms of romance, in terms of finances, in terms of family, in terms of relationships, is because bottom line, you're saying, God, what you've told me to do will not make me happy. And so I've got to do what I want to do. And believer in the room, the same thing is true for you. You doubt the wisdom of God. You doubt the goodness of God. This, this command that God has given to Jonah is shocking. This is, again, the first time in the Bible that a Hebrew preacher, a Jewish preacher, has been called to go to the Gentiles. And Jonah is shocked that God would send a warning of judgment to the Assyrians because often when God warns you ahead of time what he's going to do, the reason why he does that is out of his mercy because he's giving you an opportunity to repent and to avoid the wrath that is to come. It's the whole reason why God gives us the gospel and tells us that Jesus died for our sins, was raised from the dead, is gonna return one day, and and that he's gonna return and hold the entire world accountable and he he tells us that's gonna happen so that you will recognize that there's a judgment day coming for you and that you'll repent of your sin and believe that Jesus died for your sins. And so he he gives this commission to Jonah, go and to warn them and to show mercy to Assyria and Jonah wants to avoid his commission again. Jonah's an easy target. The Bible makes that that very easy for us. And I think many of us would say, you know what? If I lived in the 8th century B.C. and God spoke to me clearly and told me to go somewhere and to say something, I'd do it. And here's my reply to you and your confidence dare I say, arrogance. He has spoken plainly to you. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. God has given us a command, and he's given us a commission. How are you doing it, obeying it? Are you engaged in the mission that God has given to you? Or are you just somebody who shows up every week and listens to some singing and listens to some preaching and goes home and thinks about maybe what that means for you and for your own life, but not what it means for you and how you're to be an ambassador to others. God has given us a commission and what What does our silence and what does our inactivity, both at home and abroad with the nations, say about our relationship with the Lord, say about our heart for the lost around us, say about our heart for the world around us? What does it say? Don't we have a great commission that we ignore too? And again, just like Jonah, we have our reasons. Fearful, we say, I don't know what to say. Well, it's not going to do any good anyways. They're not going to listen to me. One of the the major ones I hear when I preach about uh, missions when going outside of your community and going to the places in the world that have the the biggest need, one of the excuses and reasons I'm given is, well, John, there's, there's just so much ministry to do here. Why would we go there when there's so much ministry to do here? And here's one of the things that I've found without exception, honestly, those Christians who are not concerned about the nations are also not concerned about their neighbors. Like if you, if you don't have a heart for the whole world, you don't have a heart for your community either because the, the, the natural instinct of ours in our fallen condition is to turn in on ourselves and to think about ourselves. And so we have a commission, how, how, are, we, how are we doing with that commission? And, and listen, God could have cho- chosen any way that he wanted to, he's God, he's sovereign, he could have chosen any way that he wanted to, to reach the world and to, to save the world. The means that he chose was his people, sharing their faith, telling about what God's done for them, speaking up. Remember years ago, I was um, about 19 years old, about to turn 20, went on my first mission trip to Vietnam and Cambodia. And then that year after I I went on my first mission trip, I was in Bible college, I read a book, it was written about 100 years ago uh, by Jay Gresham Machen called Christianity and Liberalism. And in that book, Machen makes this quote, and it, and it honestly radically changed my life. Machen says, when he's, when he's talking about the fact that, that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and yet the vast majority of the world doesn't know Christ right now. And this is, what he, this is what Machen says. He says, if therefore this way of salvation is not offered to all, it is not the fault of the way of salvation itself. Rather, it is the fault of those who fail to use the means that God has placed in their hands. So what's Machen saying? Machen's saying, listen, if there's a lost and dying world that's headed to hell, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. It's your fault. God has placed in our hands every means that we need to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And yet we're not doing it. I mean, listen, I, I remember my youth pastor telling me this story years ago. He was in the Philippines on a mission trip, drives on a Jeep into this remote village and there's no roads and so they gotta stop and they get out of the Jeep. And they get on a motorbike and they drive up this mountain till the motorbike can't go anymore and they hop off and they get on the back of a caribou and they go up that on that caribou's back to the top of this mountain, this little village, and they walk into the middle of the village and the guy who's like the chief over that village welcomes him to his home and he says, hey, would you guys like a Coke? Because the Coke guy just came by. And, And Coke has gotten to the ends of the earth for a far, far more ridiculous reason, profit than we have, salvation of souls. And yet they've got there and we've not shown up yet. And so we have a commission just like Jonah. How are we doing with that commission that God has given us? And so Jonah rebels he refuses to be a light to the nations, just like the nation of Israel. He goes in the opposite direction. And uh, uh, Herman Melville, in his classic book *Moby Dick*, in the beginning of that book, if you ever go read it, there's a there's a preacher who preaches a, a worship service before the sailors go out to sea, and he preaches on Jonah. And here's what he says: He says Jonah thinks that a ship made by men will carry him into countries where God doesn't rain, but he's wrong. And so God responds with judgment. There's wind, there's a storm, and the, the sailors are freaking out, and so they're tossing things overboard. I, I think I've shared this with you before. I, I, I am, which is amazing because of what God has called me to do, and I, I travel all the time, but I am afraid of flying, okay? Like, not, I'm not afraid of flying, but I'm afraid of turbulence. Okay, so that the slightest turbulence. And you can tell me all day long, I'm safer in the plane than I am in my car. I don't care, okay? Your logic is no good with me on that, all right? I still grab onto my seat when there's turbulence, like it's gonna do something, okay? And, uh, and I just hold on for dear life. But, but here's when like, I, so I'm like mildly terrified of turbulence. Here's when I get really terrified when the, the the crew on the plane gets scared and have to take their seats, and when they're freaking out, then I'm really nervous, okay? Because they're the professionals. And so like the experts, the sailors who'd been on the sea their whole life, they're scared to death. They're tossing the cargo that's gonna make them money that they're carrying from one port to the other. They're tossing it overboard, all right? Just trying to save their skin and save their lives. And they start praying and they start praying to their gods. They're pagans. They're not believers in the one true God. And so they start praying and then they go down and they find Jonah and Jonah is asleep in the boat while the storm's raging. Okay. Does that sound like, does that sound familiar at all? Okay. Talk about that in a second. And so they wake him up and they say, pray to your God so that we do not die. And so they try to figure out why this is happening. They cast lots, which may seem to us like an outdated mode of trying to figure things out. Although Proverbs talks about that the lot belongs to the Lord. And so they cast lots and it falls to Jonah. So they know Jonah's responsible and they start to interrogate him. Okay. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? What race are you? So they, they begin to, to bring ethnicity and race into the equation. And so that is a foreshadowing for us that this may be important to what's happening here. We'll talk about that more in the in the coming weeks. And so Jonah answers, I, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord who created the sea and the dry land. He's the one in control of all of it. He's not some tribal or territorial deity that's just over a few things. He's over the whole thing. And that scares them even more. And they're like, okay, if he's the God of the sea that we're on right now in the storm, and he's, he's the God of the land that we came from, how in the world did you think you could run from him? And so they say, what do we, what do, we do? And he says, you gotta throw me, throw me in. And here's the thing, the, the amazing thing about this story, and there's so many things that we could dive into in this story, but the amazing thing is that, that they're more concerned about Jonah than Jonah is about them. Like the the lost people, the unbelievers in the story are more concerned about the believer than the believer is about them. This is an indictment on us. Finally, he says, throw me in. He he starts to show a little bit of concern for the people. He He says, I know it's because of me that this has come upon you, and so throw me in and you will be saved. And so he starts to to show a little bit of compassion to the Gentiles. And I I just, this is not something that's in the text, this is a question I have. I do do wonder if these sailors are the first real Gentiles that Jonah has ever met. Like if they're the first real non-Jews that he has ever met. And because I can tell you this, um, I, I've encountered so many people, and I, I was one of them, who said, I can never go on a mission trip overseas, I, I can never go out of the United States of America, I'd be scared, I'd be confused, I wouldn't know what to do, that's just not my thing, I don't, I don't wanna do that. Uh, and it, it wasn't until I crossed a culture and went and met people who are not like me and found out, you know what, they really are kinda like me, um, They're just people like me trying to make their way through the world and they need Jesus. And so mission trips, I just encourage you, mission trips are a great way to break down cultural stereotypes and to help you get the heart of God for the world uh, that he has. And so uh, Jonah finally shows a little bit of concern for them and they're reluctant to throw him overboard, but they finally do. And they pray to the Lord. They finally, they don't pray to their gods. They pray to the one true God. And they say, don't hold this against us. Don't, don't, we're doing what, what we have to do. And you're the one who's created this storm. And so they, so they throw Jonah into the boat. And we, we do see a real contrast between Jonah and the sailors, right? When the storm comes up, the sailors call to their gods But the captain of the ship has to ask Jonah to pray to the Lord. The sailors attempt to save Jonah's life, and yet Jonah is fleeing the presence of God because he doesn't want to see Gentiles saved. The sailors, at the end of the story, fear the Lord. Jonah claims that he fears the Lord, but his actions have not shown that to be true. So we see at almost every stage here in the story, the pagans, the unbelievers, are outdoing the believers. Now, that, that tells us a couple of things. One, that tells us that our salvation is about the mercy of God, not our good works. But it also is an indictment and a challenge to us that we should respond differently than the world responds. We should be more gracious than the world, more merciful than the world, more forgiving than the world, more courageous than the world. And so they throw him in, the sea calms down and a great fish swallows him and he spends three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And then the text tells us basically these sailors are converted. They start making sacrifices to the one true God. So they've, they've been saved not because of Jonah's great witness, but because of God's great mercy. And they start worshiping the one true God. And here's the thing, God can send storms in our life and the storms that come in our life can come because of our sin. That can be something that directly that we've done that creates the consequences and the storm that we're facing, or it can be something that somebody else has done. And then we're just facing the consequences of something that somebody else has done, just like these sailors are facing the consequences of what Jonah had done. But God can use the storm in your life to point you to him and finding mercy and finding forgiveness and finding salvation and deliverance in him. And so whatever it is that you're going through, instead of causing that causing you to run from God, it should cause you to run to God. And what Jonah wanted to avoid happening. The salvation of the Gentiles still happens. And it's foreshadowing what God's going to do with Nineveh here in a couple of chapters. And so we see in this story, the Lord's heart for the nations, the Lord's heart for the world. And we see is that there's one man who is sacrificed to save all of the others. This is why Jesus tells us that the story of Jonah points to him, and it points to what he did on the cross, and it points to what he did in his resurrection. Listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, this is what Jesus tells us. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was, in, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Jonah points us to Jesus, but we see that because Jonah's kind of the, the anti-Jesus, right? Jonah was a disobedient prophet. Christ was an obedient prophet. Jonah got what he deserved, and yet Jesus took what we deserve on the cross. One came near to death, the other died so that he could conquer death. Jonah was here in this story, he's the scapegoat, he's the substitute so that the sailors will be saved and the wrath of God will be averted from them but Jesus is the ultimate scapegoat. Jesus is the substitute for us on the cross who averts the wrath of God from us that we deserve in our sins. And he brings us salvation in his death and resurrection. And the contrast could not be clearer because when the storm raged, Jonah was asleep in the heart of the boat. And when he was woken up, he had to be thrown in for the storm to be stilled. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. And he was woken up by his disciples and he could speak the word, stop. And the wind and the waves listened to his voice. Jesus is the new Adam who has dominion over the planet. Jesus is the savior for our sins. And he is the one who took the punishment that we deserve so that we could receive the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And what Jesus tells us is, no matter what the skeptics say, all the people who are like, I mean, that, that's just a myth. There's no way a fish could have swallowed a guy. Listen, if God can raise a dead man back to life, then he can cause a fish to carry his prophet from where he is to where he wants him to go. R.G. Lee, great preacher in Memphis years ago, said if God can create a preacher, he can create a fish big enough to swallow him. <laughs> and that's true. Uh, not, not that he could stomach him for more than three days, but he could, he could swallow him. And so Jonah, Jonah can't reconcile. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he can't reconcile, okay, God, the Ninevites are exceedingly wicked. And so how can you show mercy to them and still be just, still be holy. But Jonah doesn't know the cross. And The Bible tells us in the cross of Jesus Christ that God is both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And so only the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform the world. If you have walked away from God in rebellion, like Nineveh, you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're doing your own thing, you're not listening to the word of God, then my encouragement to you is turn to Jesus. Find mercy in him. And if you've walked away like Jonah in your self-righteousness and thinking you know better than God, then same thing is true for you. Repent, turn to Jesus, find mercy in him. Only the gospel can transform sinners and Pharisees alike and make us those who love the world and have a heart for the world. The Bible tells us, Genesis chapter 12, this is the background to everything that's happening here. God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. That tells us God blesses us for one reason so that we can be a blessing to other people, not so that we can hold that blessing to ourselves. And so, how do you need to be a part of the commission that God has given you? Some of you in this room, need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, become part of his family, become somebody who is an ambassador for him. Some of you in this room need to start inviting your neighbors or inviting the people you go to school with or the people that you work with to church so they can come here and hear the gospel. Some of you need to learn to serve foreigners who are here in our midst, in our community. Not say, well, they're they're different from me and. Why don't they go back home and they don't belong here? No, they're here. So why don't you do the Christian thing and serve them and love them and be kind to them? Years ago, I was, I was interviewed by a reporter from the Wall Street Journal. It was at, a, was at a Christian conference, she interviewed me. And I said to her, she was, she was from Iran I said to her, when the interview stopped, I started to try to share my faith with her. I said, well, what do you believe? And she said, she was a Jehovah's Witness. I said, well, how did you, you're from Iran, how did you become a Jehovah's Witness? She said, well, when I was, this is, this is this is wild with Yasmin here, she, she, when her family moved from Iran, they moved to Boston. They lived in a home. And she said, nobody ever came to our house Nobody that we lived around wanted anything to do with us. And one day we got a knock on the door and there were Jehovah's Witnesses outside and they came into our house and they were nice to us and they were kind to us and they wanted to have a relationship with us and so we became Jehovah's Witnesses. And when she told me that, I was just so heartbroken like, where were the Christians? And there's tons of people like her all over our community, all over our nation, all over this world, who are just waiting for Christians to do the very thing that God told us to do. In fact, this is, this is crazy. This statistic is crazy. You know 80% of international students who come to, like student people from other countries who come to the United States for college, 80% of them will never visit a church in the United States while they're here. And 75% of them will never be invited into a home while they're here. And so what are we doing? How do we need to engage in this mission that God has given us? Some of you need to take opportunity this summer to be part of Love Naples. Some of you need to be a part of these three mission trips that we have going. Some of you need to get your passport so that when the world opens up and COVID's done and hopefully that's soon, you can go on one of these short term trips internationally and you can cross a culture and you can learn, you know what? I can do this and God can use me to do this. So I don't know what it is for you, but there's There's some of you in this room need to go on short-term trips. Some of you in this room need to go long-term, go as full-time missionaries. There's some of you students like Yasmin who need to say, you know what? I can go to school anywhere. Why don't I go to school somewhere where I can do it for the mission of God? Some of you in this room, even if you're never going to go somewhere yourself, you need to fund the rest of us doing it. You have the money. You have the resources. Instead of buying a new car, why don't you send missionaries to the nations? And so whatever it is that you need to do to be part of the mission of God, do it and don't miss out on it. Because here's the bottom line. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter five, there's a song that is sung in heaven at the end of the age. To the Lamb, Jesus Christ, you are worthy To open the scroll and to lucid seals, because you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Years ago, there's a story in the in the 1700s. There's a, a group of Christians called the Moravians who, who launched the modern missions movement, and they were, I mean, like the highest percentage of Uh, People of that congregation, the highest percentage of missionaries were sent out of that congregation of any, basically any Christian group in the history of the world. And it it started when there were two men, one who was 36, one who was 26, who had heard about slaves, African slaves in the Caribbean. And so they were going to travel there, sell themselves into slavery so that they could witness to African slaves in the Caribbean and win them to Jesus Christ. And when they went to the port and were getting ready to leave, their families and their friends never see them again. One of them raised his right arm and said as they left, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And the reward that Jesus gets for his suffering is A people from every tribe and tongue and nation on the planet. That's going to happen. There's no question about it. The only question that you have and that I have is what part are you going to play in that? Will you change your no God to yes God? Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go into a time of invitation. Here's what I wanna challenge you to do. If you've never said yes, God, in terms of giving your life to Jesus Christ, then tonight's the night. Tonight's the night. And so I'm gonna pray and we're gonna stand and sing and there's gonna be pastors here at the front And I just wanna, I wanna challenge you. If you don't know where you stand with the Lord, if you don't know that when you die that you're gonna go to heaven, you can have that question answered for you tonight. You can call out to the Lord. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've said no to you instead of saying yes to you. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he was raised from the dead. And I want eternal life through Jesus Christ. I wanna receive that gift tonight. If that's you, then we've got pastors who would love to talk to you about that decision. So when we stand and sing here in just a second, you come down and you tell them, that's a prayer I need to pray. Maybe you're here and you need to be baptized. said yes to Jesus in terms of faith, but you've not said yes in obedience and baptism, then you need to say yes to Jesus. And you need to be baptized, you need to come tell one of our pastors, I need to be baptized. Maybe you need to say yes to Jesus in terms of being an ambassador for him. And you just say, you know what, I'm falling short. I'm not making the impact in the world that I need to. I'm not. I'm not being part of his plan, his global march the way that I supposed to be, the way I should be. And then just you can pray at your seat you and come pray at these steps down here and you can commit. Lord, I want to say yes to you. I want to say yes to whatever it is that you're calling me to do. Whatever it is that the Lord is laying on your heart, stop saying no. Start saying yes. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would mm-hmm work in our hearts, work in our lives by the power of your spirit. That you would help us, you would empower us to say yes rather than no. For our good, for the good of our neighbor, for the good of this world, and for the glory of your name. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand on your feet? We're gonna sing. If you have a decision to make, you come right now while we sing.